Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there, and welcome to this episode number 398 of the Material Podcast. I am Andy Anatko, and I'm coming to you alone, unfortunately. Flo is out sick again. Uh, she had to go out for a work trip. Uh, you'll probably be reading a lot of her coverage over on her uh, page on Gizmodo, and she caught a bad cough. So she was absolutely uh, not able to <laughs> not able to record uh, last week. Uh, she is expecting to be back next time. Thank God. Uh, we we joke about how having a three year old little girl. Oh, happy birthday this week to the little Flolet, by the way. Uh, it's like sending a rover out to explore the surface world and bring back every infectious contagion that exists, short of the critters from Alien or something. But. Don't forget that she and her husband contracted COVID a while ago, and as bad as that actual experience was, it continues to resonate months and months later. Does she know for sure that it left her more susceptible to respiratory infections? Well, no, but there's still a lot of things about COVID that medical science is still learning about. And a lot of what they're learning is coming from crunching all this routine data that they would be getting year after year after year, COVID or no COVID, the stuff about doctor visits and hospitalizations, and and they're seeing that non-COVID problems are trending upward for the past couple of years. Uh, I've dodged COVID thus far. I uh, I can blame my largely monk-like existence here, but seeing firsthand what close friends like Flo are going through still helps me to keep disciplined and, and wary. This isn't over. So please, 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 everybody, stay safe out there. But that's not why this week's show is so very, very late. Uh, so late that it became next week's show. Well, not we'll, we'll still have two shows this week, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and I have to take the blame for that. Um, let, let me let me say this. I, I spent the formative years of my professional life as a writer, as a journalist, writing two columns a week for the Chicago Sun-Times. And that experience it left me with two foundational drivers in like how I write and how I work. First, that deadlines are deadlines. Like a, a daily newspaper, it's not a literary, literary arts magazine uh, whose publisher is someone with a trust fund and an unfinished BA in droopy literature who's free to basically do whatever they want. A daily newspaper, it's a daily drumbeat that can't be negotiated with. Uh, but the positive trade-off is that if you're unsatisfied with what you've just written, grit your teeth, file the story anyway, because there's going to be another opportunity coming almost immediately. That said, item number two here, if you know that your editor needs your copy by 4.30 p.m. and you're finished by 4, well, are you really finished? Because, like, why waste those 30 minutes? Like, make it better. Keep working at it because once it once 4.30 rolls around and you click on send, you can't pull it back. You can't change anything. So I'm really good with deadlines, believe it or not, but... If I suddenly have an extra day dropped my lap where I can put in some more work, I can't help myself. It's a, it's a sickness. I got to use that extra time. Uh, so Flo and I, we'd already planned to record this episode a day late uh, to accommodate her travel. And that was 30, uh, that was 11 PM uh, on a Thursday night, my time. Uh, and then she got sick and she had to cancel out. Um, and well, th that's fine. I'll do a solo. And our editor, Jim needed to have it on Friday. So I stayed up late rewriting the, the show as a solo. Then I got some sleep and I started recording the actual show like mid to late Friday morning, but I'd already blown it. 
Now, Jim is our show's editor. You heard us uh, both talk to him and talk about him in considerable gratitude and awe appreciation. He is the unseen Marine behind the scenes. Uh, I was stupid. And uh, I knew that he, he said that uh, he could edit it on Friday, but I hadn't asked him what time he needed it by on Friday. And just going backwards, every editor I ever had at the Sun-Times, it wasn't I, – I, I didn't know what day. I didn't know uh, like morning, afternoon, early. I, I knew the exact time that if I, <laughs> if I had it in before 4.32 p.m., I was good. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so, uh, as a result, it cost us <laughs> that window for his editing skills because I was halfway through recording and I'd already blown it. So the next window for editing was on Sunday. So, okay, well, I gotta be philosophical about these things. Uh, hey, I, I wish I hadn't screwed up, but you know, now I can work on this for another couple of days. Hooray. Cause especially cause this, this episode, this was a super interesting week for Google news. And I was both ashamed, but also grateful for the chance to update the content, make some changes, tighten things up, uh, give some extra flow, add some extra stuff that I'd learned. But then life happened on Sunday for me, which sometimes happens. So my recording time got pushed until late in the day and boom. Okay. So anyway, all my fault. I do apologize. We are making some policy changes here so that that sort of thing doesn't happen again. Or at least if it does happen, there'll be a much more interesting story behind it than Andy just didn't record the show that he had as soon as he had it. Because if he had recorded it when he had the show, uh, then it would have been done uh, like uh, Thursday, Thursday, like at 4 a.m. Uh, or at least would have posted on Sunday again. Okay, moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. Um, yeah, maybe an excuse like involving Chinese spy balloons. An accident involving a flan. That would that would at least be entertaining. You probably know that I was making things up, uh, but that's you, you got to admit. Even now, you're intrigued. You're engaged. Uh, you know, but that sort of thing. Okay. Well, you have been waiting for this episode long enough, so let's just right get on with it. Appropriately for an all Andy and Otko show, this time we're talking all about AI. Get it? A. Anyway, uh, Google has been perceived as being on the back foot regarding bringing generative AI and large language model powered features uh, that can f compete with OpenAI's chat GPT, especially given how well Microsoft's investment in OpenAI has been paying off for them. Well, since our previous episode, Google's been working hard to change that perception. Uh, so I'm going to be talking about Alphabet's earnings call, which actually had a, a very, very huge AI focus as they're talking to investors. And Google followed that up with a whole event in Paris last week, showcasing their investment and their plans for artificial intelligence. So sit tight, try not to worry about the accelerating rise of the machines while you listen to this following message. This episode of Material is brought to you by Rocket Money. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions. Think about that. If you think you're only subscribed to a handful of services, you might want to double check. With Rocket Money, you can quickly identify and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, like that streaming service you bought to watch just 
just one show on or that free trial that you never even used. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. Rocket Money is still reminding me that I am bad with my money. I have too many subscriptions to account for, but at least I have this little app to help me catch what's eating up my cash. So far, I've saved about 20 bucks a month on unused subs, but it's only been a few months. And to be honest with you, sometimes say I'll get back to it later and then I forget. Rocket Money, it's constantly reminding me, however, that there are more things I am paying for it than I actually use. And with Rocket Money as my helper, I know I will get through those unused subscriptions. Now, it doesn't just remind me of when I'm losing money. It also pings me when I get paid, like from podcasting. So I know there's extra money waiting for me for the month. Yay. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash material. That's R-O-C-K-E-T-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash material. Rocketmoney.com slash material. Our thanks to Rocket Money for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Well, just as we were recording the previous episode, Alphabet, parent company of Google. I'm just going to say Google for the rest of this segment because I I have limited mental bandwidth, as 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 you know. Uh, but yeah, they had their uh, fourth quarter of 2022 earnings call, which also had some summaries of how 2022 went for Google slash Alphabet. Uh, you can cancel the food drive. Uh, you can if you're knitting afghans uh, and and sweaters to help those poor 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 people in Google C-Suite to get through uh, these troubling winters that they, they did fine. They made lots of money. Uh, we'll get into all of these details. Uh, the, the bare and boring numbers about it were, uh, let's see, they, they missed analyst estimates by not, but not by a lot, uh, just 1% growth eh, for the fourth quarter of 2022. Uh, the layoffs, they laid up about 12,000 people. Remember that that's going to cost them 1.9 billion to $2.3 billion in uh in in revenue uh so uh they're also getting rid of office space they don't need that's going to cost them another 500 million dollars in the first quarter of 2023 and uh google cloud losses they were dramatically lower hey <laughs> uh they lost uh, google cloud lost 890 million dollars in the fourth quarter of last year hey now they're only losing about half a billion yeah, we we talk a lot about Google Cloud. It's very it's a very very important part of Google's growth. But oh my God, it loses so much money. Yeah, and they got and they have to keep making it. We'll, we'll talk about it later. But uh, <laughs> um, well, overall thoughts. Uh, well, there I, I was kind of surprised that there was no mention of regulatory headwinds in the prepared statements. If you've never listened in on these calls, uh, the uh, CEO, the CFO, the CFO, and the chief operating officer, operations officer, just reads these prepared statements in turn. Then they open it up to Q and A for some analysts, um, and they they have to talk about here are the things that we think are gonna affect the company. They they can choose what they want to say, but they are required by law. Uh, if if they if there was something really really devastatingly bad happening on the horizon, and they didn't tell investors about it, they could get into super super trouble. Uh, and but sometimes they also use this space to sort of prepare the ground for bad news to come, and so but they didn't mention that. That was interesting, given that my 
God, the antitrust problems that they're facing in the U.S. and abroad, the heat is just getting right uh, hotter and hotter and hotter. Uh, the uh, Department of Justice in the U.S. Uh, filed that that new, the big one, the big bomb about uh, Google's ad business that really seems to be the 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 one, the really damaging suit where they're going to have to, oof, they're going to have to negotiate, find a way to. Uh, to avoid getting the DOJ to just uh, order them to uh, to disband that part of their business, so okay, not surprising. Maybe they maybe they don't feel that, that was a slam dunk problem on the, on their balance sheet uh, in the future. As you could have ex- expected, lots of talk about artificial intelligence. Uh, the bulk of that has just been about how Google has always been a- rolling out AI features and making money, 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 money from them. Okay, maybe you haven't heard us do anything about Chat uh, GPT, but it doesn't mean that we ain't exploiting AI and the money we've been putting into AI to making simoleons, moolah, cabbage, and bean sauce. I don't know if that's a old timey well anyway uh so yeah they're they're basically making sure that they get that message out there uh and so as a result of they're saying that it doesn't matter so much that kids can't use google search to cheat on essays because these same tools are making their ad tools more valuable uh we'll get into that a little bit later on uh but yeah they're also stressing uh that uh, it's still the early days and there's work to there's work to be done great uh so let's get into more detailed highlights uh, Sundar Pichai was first to talk, and uh, the, the macroeconomic climate drinking game got off to a good start. Uh, <laughs> every time he says match mentions the macro, the current macroeconomic climate, the, the macroeconomic cl- climate has become more challenging. That's the third, <laughs> fourth quarter in the row that's been sort of the leadoff. Uh, he used his time to make a couple of different points. Again, uh, basically saying that OpenAI, hey, look, it isn't this company. They're not beating us up and stealing our Transformers toys on the playground at recess every day. So just stop saying that, all right? Uh, He reminded analysts that Google has been transforming itself into an AI company pretty much since he took over. And it's not as if they've been keeping that information to themselves, right? He also even took some credit for the current explosion of AI tools, citing that Google AI's seminal 2017 paper on transformer models laid a big part of the groundwork that led to basically every company and the company's cousin uh, trying to do make some money in AI and releasing something that gets a lot of uh, a lot of hand wringing about it uh, this year and last year. Uh, much of his talk on this topic turned out to be a preview of Google's live from Paris AI event that was, that uh, happened uh, last Wednesday. So I'll skip over that for now. Uh, but he said, quote, we continue to invest in AI across the board and AI and deep mind are integral to a bright AI first future. And as someone whose initials are AI, I'm going to have that engraved on a walnut plaque and put it someplace to cheer me up in these dark, dark, dark winter New England days. Then Sundar moved over to the other reason why Google's been in the headlines recently, layoffs and restructuring. He's saying, quote, we're being careful and responsible with our resources, unquote. The story he presented was akin to cleaning out a two-car garage after 10 years. Like, you know, the clutter keeps up, creeps up on you over time until one day you can't get anything in the garage anymore. And it's effective to solve the problem by thinking of it as re-examining the whole purpose of the structure and then reconsidering how you're using every single square foot. That's kind of a cold way for me to paraphrase what is a a very devastating round of layoffs, but that is the sort of tone. That's how he chose to frame it to analysts and to the, everyone, everyone else who was listening in. 
addressing those layoffs, he said, quote, we did a rigorous review across criteria and functions to ensure that our people and roles are aligned with our highest priorities as a company. And we announced a reduction in our workforce. Again, remember that this this is not uh, for the media. This isn't for the public. This is specifically for investors and analysts. So obviously every statement is from the point of view of how, what's the health of the company, uh, what, what explains the numbers you're seeing right now, and why do you have reason to be encouraged that those numbers will be better or even better in future quarters. Uh, he gave call-outs to uh, uh, the Pixel Hardware and Google Cloud. Uh, remember that the CEO has very little time during these calls, and I'm always very interested in what he chooses to throw a spotlight on in these prepared comments. And believe me, these are very prepared comments. Uh, so even if it's a quick shout out, it kind of gets my attention. So he threw out kudos to the Pixel 6a, 7, and Pro, uh, calling them the best selling generation of phones we have ever launched. Um, that's an interesting twist. Uh, Apple had their own sales call, uh, uh, analyst call rather. And, uh, it's Apple, always, Apple always wants to mix it. Oh, Apple, it makes most of its money from hardware, right? And it uses its earning calls to highlight, not how much necessarily how much money they're making from hardware, but making sure, you know, how well its services business is doing. And Google does just the opposite. Obviously they have a lot of pride in saying, Hey, here's how much money we're making off of Google search and ads and other services. But if that all tanks, Hey, look, we've got hardware and look how much hard, how much money we're making off of hardware now. Uh, quote, uh, we are working to improve the economics and hardware as we focused more intently on the pixel line and overall, the, the overall cost structure there cloud remains very focused on its path to profitability. They are aware that it's lost half a billion dollars. Thank you very much. Uh, the other thing I find I always find interesting is the what Google Alphabet calls its other bets category. This is like the professor and Marianne of Google's financial picture. Like we're imagine that Google Ads and YouTube are probably the Skipper and Gilligan. But ads, ads makes no ad ad makes ad business makes all the money, so they would have to be the Howells. Okay, so let's say uh, Google Search is the Skipper. No. No, jeez, uh, that doesn't work. Like the professor, the professor is search because it's probably the most technically competent and useful part of the group. But we still have the skipper now to fill. Yeah, okay. Look, I'm, I'm getting off track. Uh, it's uh, th this would be a good time to mention if you haven't heard that uh, there is a nationwide Adderall shortage. Okay. Okay, but before I let this go, like. Uh, is Gilligan's is Gilligan's Island still airing somewhere? Like I, I it's a natural cultural touchstone for me to use because it's it works for for Generation X. Like we we all are familiar with it because we grew up when broadcast TV was still king, and Gilligan's Island was one of like only three shows that were always on like the eight channels we got like sometime after school. Okay, so it's on. Okay, so you can stream it on the Roku channel, and okay, should have guessed that it's also on MeTV. Those, you know, <laughs> when it's not doing a, well, they're not airing a Trusk infomercial. It's uh, it's they've got uh, Gilligan's Island. I wonder what the wonder what the common cultural touchstones are going to be for the generation that grew up on streaming. Like, will these people one day be like middle aged writers, journalists, slipping in reference to like a, some sort of like a, a makeup TikTok beef? into you know whatever it is they're writing like as tiktok beefs about people who have their own makeup palettes is that the, is that like is that what everybody in that generation will have remembered 
I don't, where where were you when you found out that there was going to be <laughs> there's going to be muted autumn tones and 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 Kenny Balak was <laughs> spring. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm getting. I've I've been reading, waiting three weeks for my last Adderall prescription to get filled. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Anyway, other bets. Uh, just a passing mention of Alphabet's life sciences subsidiary, Verily, echoing the "Hey, we're quote honing its strategy and structure to more clearly focus on product development." Unquote. No mention of Waymo, which was a little bit of a surprise because they haven't spending a lot of money on it. It's interesting things are happening with it. And they had a really, at the time, a really flashy demo coming up uh, next uh, that next week, which is, you may have heard about it, about how they had uh, uh, the Super Bowl happened in, uh, you know, in Arizona. They've got permits to operate Waymo as a taxi service. So they did taxi service at the Super Bowl to and, fr- to and from the stadium. So uh, that would have been an interesting flex, but okay. They didn't have time. They didn't want to do that. Uh, I'm going to quote his closing comments from Sundar Pichai. This is if we if we weren't so late, I would want like echo off off of like a like a marble lined like lecture hall and some sort of patriotic music stirring ruffles and flourishes in the background. But we're desperately late, so we don't have time for that. <clears throat> to close, we are all standing on the cusp of an era. Is that what we're standing up? Uh, a cusp of an era of amazing opportunities. We are going to be bold, responsible, and focused as we moved into it. A healthy disregard for the impossible has been core to our company culture from the very beginning. When I, I look around Google, Google, Google today, day, 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 I see that same spirit and energy driving our efforts. He is the least New England Kennedy-esque person on the planet. I don't know why I chose to do that way. Anyway, next up was Philip Schindler, uh, Google's senior vice president and chief business officer. Uh, see, the declines in Google services revenue were, quote, negatively affected by sizable foreign services headwind, which is another drinking cue. The YouTube and ad network revenue declines uh, went back to uh, greatest hits here due to the broadening of pullbacks pullbacks and advertiser spend uh, and that's been a thing for many quarters i recall so okay that's basically it, it feels as though they're saying quote not saying slash not saying that advertiser revenues are leaving uh, google services and they're not coming back because they're not getting them back uh, he also he talked about uh, here's where they're in, they're investing in long term growth. Google AI obviously went into a lot of detail about how their AI research has been used to improve their ad business, which makes a lot of sense because again this is an investor call. That's where Google makes its money off of ads, so it's great messaging there. Uh, saying the quote Google AI has been foundational to our ads business for the last decade. Um, I do think that the folks at the DOJ who filed that antitrust suit to break up their ad business were delighted in taking notes when they heard, heard him boost that uh, one of the areas where Google is using AI to give was to give its smart bidding system and the ads business even more of a brutal advantage over its competitors in digital ads. Uh, but seriously, this was interesting. They're, they're using their language models to create a better product for uh, ad customers. So customers can still place ads based on simple keywords, like give me uh, attach the, attach this ad uh, to a web page that's about bowling in the Northeast, whatever. Um, and they can still do that. But Google AI has created an additional product service from Google where customers can place ads based on the artificial intelligence artificial intelligence's understanding of the web page's actual content. 
Schindler says that says that businesses are seeing an average 35% improvement in conversions when they upgrade from keyword buys to broad match, which is what they call that service. Okay, good point. Uh, last up was Ruth Parat, the chief financial officer. Uh, 2022 yearly revenues uh, were uh, $283 billion. That's up 10% over 2021. Once again, uh, if you're Gotta, if you're saving uh, non-perishable food items and warm clothing in good condition, you might want to apply that to a local food bank or a local shelter. Instead of to Mountain View, California, they seem to be okay. Uh, she said that search remains the biggest contributor to revenue growth, uh, which definitely indicates the what's at stake as they're as they need to keep Bing and other conversational search engines at bay. This is this is one of the golden eggs. Costs and expenses are up all the way across the board. They did do $59 billion in stock buybacks in 2022. That's been previously reported. And that's it's one of the sort of galling things in almost all of these quarterly earnings calls, particularly in tech, as uh, all the news of the past couple of months, it is now in vogue to cut your work, workforce by about 5 6 or 7%. And okay, I can understand if the economy is tanking and you need to cut costs, but then somewhere else in the in the in, in the perspective, it says, "Oh, by the way, we're buying our we're buying ourselves back." Fifty. They found fifty nine billion dollars uh, to again buy themselves back a little, which is great for the company, great for investors. Uh, how much of that could have been used to preserve some of these jobs? And if you don't care about if 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 that's not foremost in your mind, like what are the what kind of brain drain is happening because they in part needed to fund all these stock buybacks? Oh well, I'm not a business reporter. I know that I should shut up. Another significant data point from her part of the spiel, uh, a decline in Play Store revenues. Uh, she cited the usual foreign exchange headwinds, take to take a drink, uh, but also, quote, the impact of reductions of Play Store fees, unquote. That should get our attention because uh, both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store have been changing how they uh, – uh, charge uh, developers for selling stuff, doing transactions through their stores and using their payment processors. It used to be like a uniform 30%. And now they've changed to sliding scales where uh, it might be as low as 10%. For small developers, it might be even nothing. So this definitely indicates that as regulators continue to put pressure on how these companies operate their app stores, that is not going to be a trivial drop in revenue. That really is significant. Once again, remember that she would not be saying this if it weren't important for uh, for uh, investors and analysts to know about. Again, they're, they're legally required to talk about stuff like this. Uh, but the biggest news in Peratt's statement uh, in her segment, maybe I, this could be the most significant news of the entire call. Uh, well, uh, DeepMind, their AI uh, lab, uh, there was num- the numbers for the for that division, they've always been part of that other bets hopper. Again, it's just one big pile of things that aren't necessarily making money. There's the things they're playing with. They're not really committed to it. Uh, and th- she announced that starting next quarter, uh, DeepMind becomes its own line item in uh, in their in their uh, report. Uh, quote saying that we consolidate other bets into Google only when that bet supports products and services within Google or for Alphabet broadly. 
So that's uh, definitely a tangible sign of the importance that Google places on its AI research. I mean, we knew that that was true anyway, but that is a tangible move uh, and also tangible sign of its expectation, Google's expectations that it's doing the kind of work that's not going to result in research papers. It's going to, well, not just research papers. It's also going to show up in enhancements to actual Google products and actual actually contribute to Google's bottom line. And I'm sure that it doesn't hurt that uh, by doing so, uh, by moving this into its own line item, they'll they'll be making their investments in DeepMind more visible. So again, forestalling concern that Google is not using AI uh, to transform the company and they're letting opportunities pass them by. Maybe they are, but at least they can get some coverage uh, from that uh, from that complaint uh, with uh, with future future statements. Uh, she is also uh, the executive as a CFO that you turn to for the numbers regarding Alphabet's restructuring. Who, who can count the human cost? But there are numbers associated with this. Once again, 12,000 workers were let go. Uh, severance packages are going to cost the company between 1.9 and 2.3 billion. However, they also added 3,455 new hires in the uh, fourth quarter, mostly in technical roles. Uh, she said that they're going to be meaningfully slowing the price, place sorry about that, meaningfully slowing the pace of hiring in 2023. Uh, and also uh, to uh, analysts who are looking at these numbers and saying, yeah, but what did you accomplish with that? She said that they expect the effect of all of this uh, to be apparent or more apparent or more visible in their financials starting in 2024. Now we go on to the Q&A. Once again, the only point, the only part of uh, these three executives' lives where they are confronted with a question that they have to answer in detail and accurately or else there are problems. Uh, I mean, this if if they don't answer these random questions directly and truthfully, regulators will stuff a beehive down their pants. If <laughs> that's, that's they, 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 they like their pants unfilled with beehives. So they're, they're going to, they're going to be careful about that. Uh, so anyway, uh, some selected highlights. Sundar was asked, about bringing AI products to market, he reiterated Google's usual line of "We have well, we not being able to do it and doing so responsibly are different things. We have to do these these things responsibly." Um, she, he, this is also, but this is also where he mentioned that there is a cost to all this. A quote: "The serving costs need to be improved," which is something that doesn't get talked about enough. Where okay, open AI, open AI is really really cool, but the really good vo- version of this model it costs a few pennies for every single query. And if you're going to be doing this at the scale at which Google does search, how do you how are you going to make more than a few pennies of profit off of every single search? So that is another roadblock to implementing a chatbot like interface or chatbot like experience for Google search. Uh, they, they can't be losing money as a, they can't, they can't lose money on every transaction, but make it up in volume. He says, quote, I view it as very, very early days. Two uses of the word very, you know, that is significant. Uh, so Parat echoed what seems to have been Google's company mantra ever since Pichai and she, Pichai and she took office quote, expense growth obviously can't be growing ahead of revenue growth unquote. Um, and that's, that actually, to be fair, that could be another secret weapon for Google, a company that survives long enough to improve a product or service through many, many, many cycles of innovation will wind up with a much more impressive product than the company that took a very quick lead, but then went out of business or had to shut down that division. So in many ways, it's not a question of who has the lead in artificial intelligence and in chatbots and search. It's who gets to keep it. 
Nonetheless, there is a subsequent question about Google Cloud. Obviously, uh, Parat acknowledged that, uh, even despite uh, saying that uh, expense growth can't uh, be growing ahead of revenue growth, uh, she said that uh, they've been quote investing ahead of our revenues unquote on Google Cloud. But it's double plus super important to deliver 100% reliable service to cloud customers. So that's okay. But she also said that Sundar and she are, quote, extremely focused on the path to profitability and every element of that, unquote. Like I said, cloud has been doing better every quarter, but in the sense that they're losing money at a slower clip. Now they're, they used to be dump trucking money into a furnace. Now they're shoveling it into the furnace. Uh, So I do wonder if uh, Pachai and she have a date circled on the calendar somewhere for, look, this thing has got to start, even if it's like 10 bucks in the black, it's got to start making money. And if it doesn't make money by X date, then maybe we need to take this in a new direction. Maybe we're not doing something right here. Uh, Pichai was asked a, a, a kind of a broad question about Google's hardware business. Pichai uh, singled out the Pixel Watch as an example. Uh, the, said the Pixel Watch plus the acquisition of Fitbit that brought new fitness features to the Pixel Watch, and also having closer partnerships with Samsung uh, for the Samsung Watch. They were all factors that he said drove an over 300% increase in Android Watch activations, which is great news for Wear OS, but it also highlights how valuable making these company acquisitions are in Google's strategy. And that is another focus of anger from antitrust regulators, that that, uh, you're not giving... You're not giving other companies the chance to grow into competition for Google and Apple and Microsoft and Meta and all these other companies because as soon as they start to become valuable, they get bought out and they become subservient to the board, so to speak. So if antitrust regulators change course and stop stop taking the attitude of, hey, let business be business – Uh, If they start making acquisitions much, much tougher to close, or even if just the additional scrutiny that Google is under after being under such such intense, uh, too uh, too intense uh, antitrust suits from the Department Department of Justice, it's possible that they are going to have to be a lot more careful about companies that they choose to acquire because that will just add fuel to that fire. So uh, if – Part of Sundar Pichai's answer was that, hey, look, it's it's not it's not just the hardware; it's also how we integrate and how we find what it's find what's missing from that product and acquire it or develop it in house. If they can no longer buy what they need and get this spun up in a year instead of taking five years to develop it from scratch, that could be a problem. Okay, so well, that was that was our barefoot dance through the fragrant dew-kissed meadows of Google's fourth quarter twenty twenty two financials. Uh, after this break, let's talk about Google talking about AI and let's talk about their assurances that eh, it'll probably be fine. If you post content on your website, share to Instagram and send it to your clients, but then find posting your content to your channels involves reformatting and resizing and redownloading and reuploading, you need issue because then you can create once share anywhere and everywhere. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials and magazines to catalogs and portfolios and so much more. There's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your digital content in an easy-to-view way on every device. Make it once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is automatically optimized for engagement and ready to share, which saves you so much time. 
Issue also works seamlessly with the tools you already use and love, like Canva, Dropbox, MailChimp, and InDesign. Okay, personal experience section. Yeah, I I have so much content that I've backed up over the decades. I talked about writing for the Sun Times for twenty years. I've got like I've got like piles and piles and piles of clippings they used to send me of every single column that went in, and sometimes you have these libraries of stuff and do you want to make it available to people? Absolutely. Okay. Do you want to like import them and reformat them into web pages, not knowing how they're going to look by the time they get to the other end? Cause you don't know what kind of device they're going to be on, whether it's going to be a, a social media link, whatever. Uh, what I like about issue is that it really makes it agnostic, so to speak, where I, I if uh, there's a, uh, I've actually, uh, a friend of mine uh, runs a library at an academic research institution, and they have like just thousands and thousands of PDFs that are just on a server pretty much just to grab and download. It's just an accumulation of stuff. And uh, you, what are you going to do? That this and Some of these have been doing, uh, some, some of these are just so old. Uh, they're being scanned in, OCR'd from whatever source. How do you make them available? Do you have the funds to redo them all for a web context or a mobile context or a social media context? Probably not because they're, they're valuable, but they're not generating money. And he's using, he's actually using issue because that way he can just say, look, here's you can, you can, he says, you just point it to this pile of PDFs and say, please, he wrote a script that basically puts them all on the net and they're formatted, they're intact, they're accessible. And they're, and now the Institute and the people who use their website are benefiting from it. Whereas before they were just, I mean, they're on a server. People could get at them if they knew where to look for them. The links definitely work, but that's not what the web is all about. That's not what the internet is all about. It's not about people in the know, knowing the special shibboleth and the special password and the special, uh, special dance they have to do when the incense burners that have to be lit in order to get at the, at the file. Uh, so yeah, I, I've, if uh, this is very appropriate for a Google podcast because Information is no good unless it's accessed by people. It's it's not uh, somewhere. There's a do, there's a document. There's a file. There's a folder somewhere that has exactly the information that you need to solve a problem or to in, get you intrigued and on a new creative path or a new intellectual path. And but it's useless if you don't know where it is. If you can't find it, uh, the more information that gets posted online, the more discoverable it is. The more accessible it is. The more valuable it becomes. So that's that's what I, I kind of dig about this thing. <clears throat> Okay, getting back to reading the reading the copy. Content on issue can be published as public or private. Private only allows users with a shared link to view it, and public content will be available for your audience, and it'll be available for others to discover on the issue platform. The platform also provides statistics on how your content is being consumed so you can learn more about your audience. With data on impressions, clicks on the content, duration spent reading, pages viewed, and more. Issue helps creators, marketers, designers, and really anyone who wants to make content that stands out. Get started with Issue today for free. Or sign up for an annual premium account and get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use the promo code material. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use the promo code material at checkout for your free starter account or 50% off an annual premium account. One more time, that's issue.com slash podcast, promo code material.
Our thanks to Issue for their support of the Material Podcast and all of Relay FM. Well, wasn't that interesting timing uh, about this live from Paris artificial intelligence event? It came a week after those quarterly results, during which Google explained their artificial intelligence bona fides in terms that investors and analysts would respond to. It comes a few months before Google I.O., which is when Google is certain to explain their AI direction in terms that developers will respond to. Remember that the, actually the, the New York Times actually reported a few weeks ago that Google is expected to make more than 20 AI-related announcements at I.O. this year. Uh, that's usually held in May. Uh, so I'm tempted to say that Wednesday's event in Paris was Google making their pitch to the general public via we, the press, or at least we, the press that could afford to be in Paris right now. So why, why, why do they hold it in Paris? Uh, well, they, uh, at the start, uh, they, uh, they mentioned that, uh, uh, oops, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. I lost my place here. Uh, uh. See, I've got Windows and I've got my notes here. And unfortunately, I've, I've got a key binding that triggered. I got I got this really cool new mouse and it has buttons on it that I have yet to fully program. And programming a multi-button mouse is only second in importance to disabling the buttons that you don't want to use. And so sometimes I'll pick up a mouse to scroll down because I've got, I've, I want to make sure that I've gotten Prabhakar Raghavan's name correct. Uh, but I bump the wrong button and suddenly I'm looking at this patchwork quilt of tiny, tiny minimized windows. Uh, I'm going to have to turn that off very, very, very quickly. Okay. But anyway, getting back uh, again, no Adderall for three month, three weeks. I've got diet Dr. Pepper right here. It's got a lot of caffeine in it, but it, only do, it can only take me part of the way, dear listeners. So please bear with me. Uh, but yeah, so uh, why, so why hold this in Paris? Well, Prabhakar Raghavan mentioned, oh, here's uh, this is the home of uh, some of my favorite mathematicians and scientists. Here's Pascal. Here's so-and-so. Uh, maybe it's just because <laughs> you can choose any place in the world to be. Why not be in Paris? Eh, that's fine. Uh, so... So, uh, but, but it's also all this, uh, this messaging is complicated by the fact that of course, chat GPT and stable diffusion and all these other AIs have been tearing up the news cycles and public discourse for months now, uh, which might make Google look like kind of a punk in some eyes. Uh, and, uh, just a day earlier before this event, Microsoft formally released the chat GPT enhanced edition of Bing search in the Bing browser, not as a demo, not as an academic paper, not as a promise, but as a thing that a whole bunch of people right now can mess around with. And as of today, a lot of the people who uh, asked for invites are now starting to get their invites amongst the general public. That's a tangible thing. It's not, uh, hey, uh, look look forward to sometime in the coming weeks, which we will be suddenly rolling out in dribs and drabs. You're going to have people that are making small talk at the office break room about having used chat, uh, chat GPT uh, in Bing and how well it works. So it was uh, just under 40 minute long. Uh, it wasn't at all dominated by cracking great news and explosive revelations or even a live demo of anything. Um, overall, I describe, I would describe Google's tone during the presentation as patient. They, they were very patient with us. They didn't, they didn't come across as being defensive or desperate, which I suppose is a win in and of itself. Instead, they used the time to remind us that Google's been making investments and advancements in AI for many, many years. 
and they effectively deliver them. They effectively deliver the message that the evidence of this work is in the enhancements that they've been making to search and maps and other Google services that people worldwide have been using daily. Not again, not in the fl- form of a flashy demo uh, <laughs> whose utility integrity and integrity has yet to be proven out that again, uh, the, the stable diffusion. It's fun. They give me a, cat on a skateboard on the planet mars that's being shot at by the millennium falcon it's fun it's great it's great chat gpt giving it prompts seeing what comes back doing actually even asking it for substantive results with no intention of using the results but just to see what it would do it's great it's great it's just great but they're trying to make the point that hey look we've been in this game for many many years and we don't we just don't do a big honking uh flashy demo press release every time we enhance google search uh they were i mean i i i should i'm sorry i maybe over over buttered that uh they weren't being jerks about that you know you're ungrateful jerks we work our fingers to the bone so that search can make some sort of sense out of every harebrained search query that you clowns managed to mash into the search box with your feet but then you leave us for the first hotsy totsy large language model that can write you a gilmore girls script written the style of a bojack horseman episode well i hope you two are very very happy okay well i'm also pointing out the gonna point out that they didn't say a peep about their ads business whereas again a week earlier talking to investors that was the top example they used when selling the the same point that google has been turning ai research into actual user-facing tools for 10 years i guess they don't want to put the idea in people's heads that we (laughs) yes artificial intelligence is taking over the world but we're don't worry we're using it to build a robot army that will keep you even tighter under our thumbs that's again bad visual bad <laughs> not exactly what they're hoping to get people walking out that's not the tune they want people to hum as they're walking out uh, of, of that room nonetheless they did continue to stress that they were committed to and i quote developing and delivering ai boldly and responsibly so let's get into some of the details here uh, there are a lot of expectations concerning how google will use large language models to enhance uh, or maybe even transform Google search. So obviously that was maybe the bulk of the talk. Uh, Prabhakar Raghavan, he is Google's highest profile senior vice president. He is in fact in charge of most of the things that generates Google's income, including search. And he opened up by walking through the history of Google search, which incidentally turns 25 this year, he would like us all to know. Uh, and how artificial intelligence has been improving Google search ever since Sundar Pichai decided to steer Google towards being an AI-powered company in, what was that, 2015, 2016, they started talking about it? A little less than 10 years ago, I think. So these improvements empower things like how well uh, Google search can understand a search query, how it can search things other than text, like how search can serve up a YouTube video as the answer to a question, and cue you not just say, here's a link to a YouTube video that we think will explain uh, how to cook zucchini in an instant pot. Uh, it will actually cue you up to the actual point in an hour-long video where it actually answers the question. This is part of, I think, multi-search that they've been talking about for the past year, year and a half. It's not just about turning text, a text query to another piece of text. It's about a question based on a picture or an answer based on a video. Uh, Google, they're saying, still considers search to be, quote, an unsolved problem, unquote, Another quote, it's still our biggest moonshot, but the moon keeps moving, unquote. It says that's thanks to changing expectations and changing technology. 
Now, that line, it did make me momentarily nervous that maybe Google was building a laser or something to literally shoot at the moon. As in, go ahead and switch to Bing. You'll be using it to search for ways to survive the wrath of an elder god as he splits your pity pathetic planet like a walnut. But that could be just in my head. Google Translate also got a lot of call-outs. Uh, it really kind of let Prabhaka put it all in one uh, one nutshell, really. Uh, translating benefits from Google AI research that they discussed a long time ago uh, into actual features like zero-shot machine translation. Uh, that's uh, and, and if, Google, if Google's goal was to emphasize that they bake AI into practical, useful stuff that humans benefit from, uh, then... For this argument, translate delivers. This is this is just good communication. It's it's one thing to say, hey, look, we look at this, uh, look at this AI model, look at how it works, this is how we train it. Look at here's a demo of of, uh, of what happens when we when we put this into that. But uh, you humanize it when they say, look, this is not just cool demos. This is actual lives being saved. Um, he called out uh, the early weeks of the invasion of Ukraine, uh, where uh, Ukrainians. Uh, who were forced to flee the fighting, found themselves refugees in countries where they couldn't speak the language. Uh, and uh, Google, they did see a noticeable uptick in uh, translations, use of the translator from Ukrainian to German, Ukrainian to Polish, for example. Then there was a big hunk that they made about uh, about Google Lens. Again, it, tra- it dovetails into Translate nicely, but there are some unexpected flourishes, like a new feature for Lens that is rolling out globally that I wasn't aware of. That's uh, a little thing, but makes the point if you've used lens to translate a sign or a menu you know that uh on the live video or on the photo the translation this the the digital text that it's actually creating gets sort of pasted on top of what's actually in the photo or on the live view like on a strip of, of gray uh, rectangle now thanks to the magic of artificial intelligence lens can now erase so to speak the original text and replace it uh, so it leaves the background intact as if this was the English text was actual or the I'm speaking in English. So it's okay just for me to say yes for the, for the way I use it. So the English text on the side looks as though it was like part of the original sign itself. It, just in case the context of the background was important, they're, they're saying here. And of course, it was a good way to introduce multi-search. Uh, direct lens, uh, direct the le- direct uh, Google lens at a catalog photo of a purple paisley vest, and un- search will understand the query. And then you can say, "Hey, find me a similar vest, but an orange or slightly less embarrassing." I don't know. Uh, uh, a bit of humor here for us sensation seekers who are watching the stream. Um, this particular hunk uh, of uh, of uh, multi search with uh, with lens was presented by Liz Reed, vice president of search. She talked about multi search and then declared that she would entertain us with a live demo, but she couldn't find the phone that was supposed to be set out there for her on the stage. Yeah, uh, a certain amount of irony there that she couldn't demonstrate search because she couldn't find something. Ink. Okay, so uh, the only really direct response to ChatGPT and the uh, Bing integration that Google certainly knew was imminent and which uh, Microsoft showed off just the day before was a section on Lambda, which is the large language model that Google started talking about at Google I.O. back in 2021. Prabhakar took this opportunity to remind the room that the transformer deep learning model that's at the heart of so much industry-wide innovation now was a product of the Google brain team, the Google brain team, sorry, and came out of a research paper that they released in 2017. So, Hey, look, we're, 
the grandfather of all of this, or maybe the grand uncle. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the, the milkman on the route. I don't know. The gleam of the gleam in Google brain's eye. I'm going to stop there. Uh, and here, uh, Prabhakar, answer the question, how is Google search going to incorporate conversational AI similar to chat GPT? The answer is, and here I quote, a conversational AI service, which we fondly call Bard. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, it was really short on demo. It was just a description and screenshots and videos. There was nothing live about this. Um, let's, let's, let's get to the scorecard for all this. Uh, I think that the, it was like 38 minute presentation. It should have been much, much shorter. Uh, there really needed to be a laser like focus on how Google uses advanced AI and that they have been doing so for years and that, uh, they should have made a much more substantive dive into Bard and about Google's thinking about how, uh, they're going to enhance search. Cause a lot of this really isn't obvious. If you think about it, um, should uh, should Bard be should, should how do you integrate this radically different experience into what is by now a universally familiar experience? Google Search is the one web app that everybody knows how to use. They even probably know the tips and tricks. How many people? I think I think if my mother were alive today, even she would know the trick of if she needed a. a, a an answer to uh, an actual problem she needed uh, attending to, to add the word Reddit to the query to make sure that would actually try to get most of its results from the Reddit, Reddit forms. Uh, So do you want to mess with that? Should you, should you have a totally separate webpage called bar.google.com that takes you to a bespoke interface where it's really, really clear that you are not talking to a, a, a dry, search of matching keywords. Uh, It's not going to try to reinterpret what it's delivering to you. It's going to give you links and summaries of these actual things. And it's up to you to pick and choose versus having this conversational relationship with this thing, uh, which has so many problems associated with it, including not necessarily getting things right to begin with. Uh, When do you switch modes for this? If you integrate it into search, how do you make it Make how do you make the distinction between Google search results that people trust and Bard results? Um, the, from from the screenshots, it does look like they're going for a largely integrated integrated approach with segregated uh, content that's being generated by Bard. Uh, the Bard content is very highly annotated so that you can see where it thinks it got, why it, Bard thinks uh, that uh, this information is true. But this is it's really hard to communicate the way that they did it. It really needed some sort of a live demo. Even if, even if the uh, rational people would have said, would have accepted them saying, look, we haven't released this yet. Uh, we have a, we're, we're doing this in the co- next coming weeks. And this is so anything could happen right now. We just want to make sure you understand the flow of how these searches work. So that was, yeah, it's, it, it was, it, it was, uh, yeah, it, it was disappointing. It, it was a, they needed to drop that shoe and they didn't. And also, uh, the lack of specificity about Bard and search, it was undermined by the presence of lots of stuff that we've heard before and didn't really seem to merit such deep dives like multi-search. I mean, it was relevant to this conversation because it integrates a whole bunch of AI work that they're doing, but they acted as though this is going to be the big ooh, ah moment that, uh, <laughs> that's going to cause all these, uh, journalists to run out, still writing notes into their, into their notepads, finding a payphone so they could call the copy desk and phone this in, stop the presses. 
I mean, so much of this is stuff that we've seen so many times before. They had a big hunk uh, from uh, of, of content from uh, Google Arts and uh, uh, Google Arts and Culture, which really just seemed to have nothing to do with the topic at all. So that's what they left us t- thinking about and talking about. Not the not the meat of the sandwich, but the the the, the olive on the little uh, toothpick with the crinkly bit of cellophane at the top really wasn't very effective again it's coming the day after microsoft dropped the dropped the ai bomb uh, on, uh, on on search uh and also uh, the tone of what they were actually showing off was uh, here's some research that we're working on uh we're not going to tell you uh, when people will actually be able to use it uh and that's a consistent problem with google's presentations in general it's it's I, I I'll admit that it is very cool to see at Google I/O. Hey, look, we've got these glasses that uh, augmented reality or uh, augmented reality glasses that look like normal glasses, but they actually have a display built into them so that they will translate uh, text uh, to speech. Excuse me, uh, speech to uh, to readable text for people who have problems with their hearing, or it'll translate to an entirely different language for people who don't understand that language. Okay, that's a really cool demo, but okay, did you build five of these for the demo and a couple for for the CEO who wants to play with it? Is it going to be a product? Is there a path to making this into a product? Or is it just a demo you did to show off some of the stuff that your research is capable of doing? So much of this sort of thing happens when they call people in to give them their attention uh, to, to deliver a keynote. I mean, it's like, I mean, compare it to all these other presentations that we're seeing on AI or here we're making we're makers of stable diffusion and here's stable diffusion live on stage, generating a picture of the Lincoln Memorial made out of Rice Krispies treats. And instead of a statue of Abe Lincoln, it's a groundhog who's dressed like Beyonce and it's painted in the style of Banksy and Google has their own keynote. And it's like, here's a list of acronyms. In time, we hope to develop these acronyms into language models. These language models have the potential to generate research papers, which we can then transform into videos that simulate things that we speculate that these models will one day maybe be able to. It's, it's there's not, not a whole lot of sizzle there. Um, speaking of being undermined, oh my God, did Google step on a rake? <laughs> I mean, they they jumped off a ladder onto the rake with both feet. Uh, So Google, uh, Microsoft unveiled, again, the uh, AI-enhanced Bing search uh, last Tuesday. So Google, knowing that they had their own event coming up on Wednesday, they tried to take some of the wind out of Microsoft sales by teasing their forthcoming unveil of Bard via a quick video, which they posted on Twitter on Monday. And that video uh, took the form of a screen recording of a user interacting with Bard. And Bard is asked, what new discoveries from the James Webb Space Telescope can I tell my nine-year-old about? And the third of Bard's three responses is that the Webb Telescope took, quote, the very first pictures, unquote, of an exoplanet outside of our solar system. Okay, problem there. Uh, The Webb Telescope was launched in December 2021. Uh, and the European Southern Observatory's very large telescope took a photo of a exoplanet and that honor in 2004. Astronomers had something to say about this shortly after the video posted. It turned into a news story on Wednesday. Uh, 
it didn't turn out fine. Uh, Alphabet's market value dropped by $100 billion during trading on Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, damage control. A Google spokesperson said, quote, this highlights the importance of a rigorous testing process, something that we're kicking off this week with our trusted tester program. We'll combine external feedback with our own internal testing to make sure BARD's responses meet a high bar for quality, safety, and groundedness in real-world information. Now let's hear nothing more about this. In the background, you could hear whiskey being poured over ice in a very, very big tumbler. Yeah, I mean, this this kind of mistake, it would have been forgivable in a live demo. Uh, even Microsoft stressed during their demos that... Uh, the AI enhanced Bing couldn't return wrong information, but this was a canned video. And why didn't they do a fact check? Uh, it's not just embarrassing. It also had its effect on continuing declining morale inside Google. Googlers took to the company's in-house social media app, calling this, this mistake, quote, rushed, botched, and ungoogly. Not ungoogly, no. Uh, according to messages and memes that were seen by uh, CNBC on the in-house network, and really, this is far from just a funny story. Uh, the twelve thousand recent layoffs, plus the ham-fisted way that Google went out laying off those people. Remember, a lot of people didn't know they were fired until they showed up at work and their key cards wouldn't work anymore. A lot of uh, managers came into work; they weren't fired, but they had to wonder, "Gee, how come half of my staff aren't here now?" And that's when they found out that they were losing half their staff. That's not the, that's not a, a sure-footed and, and responsible way to do things. And all this stuff, plus this recent mistake, really has turned up the heat on employees' criticisms of how the company is being led. Uh, one employee said that, quote, rushing bar to market in a panic validated the market's fear about us. Yeah, this makes it makes it harder to work at Google. This is they got to do something about that. Okay, well, after just one last break, I'm going to talk uh, some big picture stuff here about AI. Obviously, with this episode being so late, I've had plenty of time for beard stroking. So let's see if what came of that beard stroking turns out to be worth it. You've heard about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy. But choosing a VPN you trust is just as important. There are tons of VPN providers out there. But here are some facts about ExpressVPN that are quite relevant to this. Number one, ExpressVPN doesn't log your activity online. Lots of VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do this. They even developed a technology, Trusted Server, that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. Number two, speed. ExpressVPN now uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. Sometimes VPNs can slow your connection, but ExpressVPN is always blazing fast, and users stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart is how easy it is to use. You don't need any technical skills to set it up. Just Fire up the app and tap one button to connect. That's it. Okay, personal experience block. Yeah, I've been using ExpressVPN, God, for years now. Um, uh, it's not a free account. Uh, it's uh, it's it started when uh, I tested it out for the first time uh, in, uh, in in real spirit 
when uh, my existing VPN was failing me for a whole bunch of reasons. Among them, it would drop the connection and then not inform me that, oh, by the way, you're now unprotected. You're now using an open Wi-Fi uh, unencrypted. That annoyed the, the heck out of me. And so I was shopping around and, as, and, and ExpressVPN became a new advertiser. So uh, for, for the material podcast, and I thought, okay, well, let's, let's give it a shot. And again, I, I pay for it. I don't even get a discount. The discounts that like anybody who walks in off the street gets, I, I pay full price because you know, if, if I'm going to be using this <laughs> every single month, uh, and they are an advertiser. I, I I need to walk the walk. I need to I need to be an actual customer and not uh, someone who's getting a freebie. Uh, and yeah, I, uh, it really fills every need that I want. It is easy to set up. You just download and install. I, you can imagine how many uh, bits of hardware, uh, mobile and desktop and laptop I go through. It's always very very easy to get ExpressVPN going on all of them. And so as a result, I have VPN uh, ExpressVPN going on all of them. And also, it really, it really is that simple to go. You just have one floating window or one uh, one screen on your phone with a big button, this <laughs> a power button that you if t- you push it, and when it turns green, you are uh, you're uh, protected by VPN. When you turn it off, or if it is off, uh, it's red. It says that no, you're you're uh, you're not you're not protected, and it doesn't have that problem that sent me running for my previous VPN, which is that. If you if it loses uh, if 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 your connection is no longer secure, it'll disconnect your internet. So that this is a problem that you will have to face immediately. Not like you'll find out as you're packing up to leave Starbucks that oh by the way everything you've been doing has been out in the open for the past hour and a half. That is not a positive way to end a productive way. It's the day at Starbucks. Okay, I admit it's not Starbucks. It's Wendy's, but still the principle is exactly the same. And yeah, I keep, I continue to use it month after month, year after year, because it continues to work and they continue to update it and it has not given me a lick of trouble. That's VPNs are one of those things where, uh, when it works, you don't notice it. And so one of the nicest things I can say about express VPN is that I never notice it. Uh, the only times I notice it are when, uh, I double check, I look at the top of my menu bar or look at the top of the status bar on my phone and see the VPN logo just to make sure that I am actually, uh, secure and connect. It's fast. Uh, it's, I don't really notice much of a, much of a downturn, if any at all. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason for me to switch. And so I don't switch. Uh, and again, even though, <laughs> even though once again, whatever offer that you, you get, it's probably less money that I'm spending and I am spending money for this. That's, that's the best endorsement I can give of anything that I'm spending money each and every month for this service. <sighs> okay. Going back to the ad read. Uh, CNET, The Verge, Business Insider, and many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that so many use and trust, which I use and I trust. Uh, Go to uh, expressvpn.com slash material today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash material. Visit expressvpn.com slash material to learn more. Our thanks go to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Yeah, there was a lot of beard stroking on my part uh, this week, even though I don't have a beard. Although I do, see, I, I do have sideburns, so I could that's kind of even better than beard stroking because I can give the, because my chin and like my upper lip are bare, I can basically give the impression that, wow, he's done so much beard stroking over the past week. It's, there's not even any hair. He wore down, wore down all of his facial hair. That's how much he's been thinking about this and wool gathering. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to think about here. So I, I thought that I would wrap up the show by you know, talking about some big picture stuff. Also, because I'm doing a solo 
it's this can, this can be a personal opinion sort of stuff. I and mean, we talk about a lot of opinions with flow, but, um, I don't know. It just seemed appropriate anyway. Yeah. This, this really is a very weird inflection point in the history of technology. I've, I've been writing about this stuff and following tech professionally for decades, like half my life, actually more than half my life for God's sake. Um, and it seems as though historically the big disruptive advances like Wi-Fi, mobile, the internet, they're, they're, they're like a slow rising tide, you know, like you can watch new water channels form uh, and wander across dry land as they make their way across uh, new, new, new territories. You, you can see the waters rising and you can see how existing structures and existing infrastructures are going to react to all that innovation and change it for that reason. It's not really that scary in tech. We feel as though we have time to make smart, shrewd, informed choices, including the choice to protect and preserve what's in the path of, uh, of disruptive destruction, so to speak. But that's not what chat GPT and image generators and large language models. Uh, that's not, that's not the case here. They, they all came out like a blast, uh, like a blast of churn and confusion. You know, the chat GPT, one of the, fir the first services uh, to get a million users far, far, far faster than any social media service, far faster than anything else. That's a lot to react to in a very short amount of time. And I'm very concerned about this between all of the groups and businesses that are rushing to take advantage of the opportunities here and all the groups who can see their own personal doom written across the sky. A lot of people are working as if they're worried that there isn't even enough time to react to what's going on, uh, let alone time to observe and plan. I'm not seeing a lot of observing. I'm not seeing a lot of planning. And we don't even know what we're dealing with. We don't, it's a, these are still, boy, these are still research projects. Okay. That's where I think, I do think that we're still at the stage of the technology where people inside a, a lab look at what it does and say, huh, that's funny. And it makes a note of, on another thing to check out and to test out on it, as opposed to, no, let's put this on the streets. Let's uh, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm so tempting to compare it to, to Tesla's fully self-driving. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> let's just, let's just have, we'll call, we'll tell people that this is, this car can drive itself. And then after enough crashes, we'll figure out, we'll see where it can't drive itself. <laughs> well, just be, you know, be, you might want to be a little jumpy crossing the streets for the next 10 years or so. Uh, but don't worry, we'll soon be living on Mars. Uh, so it'll cease to be a problem, but I digress again, three weeks without Adderall. Um, yeah, I mean, these large language models, they work the sort of magic in demos that immediately excite the mind and the imagination, but we have yet to really test its real value. Researchers have documented the dangers of machine learning models like these. Uh, these large language models, uh, their image models, they're trained on a fire hose of publicly available examples of the thing they're trying to understand or the skill that they're trying to master. That means that, okay, let's get every single post that's ever been made on Reddit. Let's go to every single message board. Let's look at every single depository of public domain text. Let's look at all the, all, every photo that's ever been posted, including mugshots, including police files, including uh, all this sort of stuff. 
And like, let me give you an example. One of the creepier, maybe the creepiest applications of generative art that I've read about is an AI powered service that generates photorealistic police sketches based on eyewitness descriptions. Meaning that it's just like, Hey, I, here's the person that I, th- that I think I saw running away from this, uh, from this murder or whatever, or the person, here's a police sketch. Here's a description of what I think the person who attacked me looked like. Uh, and instead of getting a sketch or something that's clearly a pasted together composite from my identikit or whatever, here is a AI generated, looks like a photo of an actual suspect. AI learning models have been imprinted with the same racism that infests our society because of all the public data that's been trained on. And a difference in skin tone in an AI generated image can be a subtle choice on the part of the image generator, but it can have an enormous influence on how a violent crime will be investigated. It potentially could have a catastrophic effect on the lives of innocent people. And not, not, not just that, but this keeps coming up so many times that the human brain is such a weird thing. It's hysterically funny how weird the human brain is that, um, the folks who wrote the operating system and the firmware and the application suite for the human brain never anticipated it being exposed to stuff like this. So when you present somebody with what looks like an actual photo complete with bad police lighting, lineup lighting of, uh, of, uh, of a, what is actual synthetic image of what someone thinks that this thing looks like. And you show this to somebody and say, was this the person who you saw running away? Is this the person that you saw holding the knife or the gun or whatever that tends to make people think this is a real person. They must've gotten a picture of the actual person. Yes, yes, that's him. That's him. That's him. And then the person who happens to look like him, like him, like him, God for God, help them if they're picked up. Particularly, God help them if their actual photo was part of the training set for that AI. Because uh, last week, the week before, a research paper got published that's proved something that we thought, or I thought, was not possible. That uh, generative AI can remember the images that it was trained with. It can be tricked into reproducing them. And the conditions upon which they can be tricked into reproducing images from its training set. And remember that these training sets include 2.3 billion images that were just found on the internet that were accessible by a web crawler. Uh, That means that you can never really know that a synthetic image is really, really synthetic. Can you? And that uh, that's mind boggling. And again, it's, it's, it's not the, it's not the, it doesn't matter how difficult it is to trick this, uh, these AIs into spinning back out an image that it memorized. We used to think that, Hey, look, it starts off with a, a, a a rectangle of complete static. There is nothing. It's not cutting and pasting stuff that it's seen on the internet. This is a completely 100% synthetic image. And that's proved that no, it is not. That means that every single time we evaluate a service or an app like this, uh, this police sketch app, we have to factor that in. What if somebody whose pictures appeared in the data set hundreds of times, so or thousands of times, and now the, the the training model was very, very familiar with that image? What if it's reproducing it without the 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 operator of that app knowing that we're seeing is mostly a reproduced image? And then, uh, what happens if? Uh, Tell me how unlikely it is that 
someone is going to that a an investigator is going to take this photorealistic AI synthesized image and run it through, uh, run it run it through facial recognition, and see if it gets any matches. If the computer says, "Oh, this is a ninety two percent match between this and this person who was pulled over uh, and booked on a minor charge five years ago," and again, that's based on another large learning model that has profound racial prejudices. That's this is why this this system takes the cake for. This is not something that should be implemented or should be used. And if you are considering your department investing in this, God, what are you doing? You don't understand what you're doing. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I mean, let, let's, now's the time where I should note with some irony that doctors Tim Nikibaru and Margaret Mitchell, when they were the co-chairs of Google's ethical AI team a few years ago, they wrote a paper or co-authored a paper explaining all of the ethical problems. Some of them may be even fatal of large language models like Google's Lambda. And remember at the time that this paper was being published, Google was planning to publicly unveil it. It was still a closely held research secret. They're going to put it, uh, uncover it to discover, excuse me, unveil it at Google IO in the coming months. Uh, and they were both fired under very deeply suspicious circumstances after they refused to take their names off the paper as requested slash ordered. But that, and that's a dramatic example, but there, there are going to be subtler problems with uh, putting these, uh, these models and these systems out into the field. One of the least splashy abilities of large language models is one that actually excites me a lot. That's the ability to just summarize existing text. It's a core function, obviously, for producing, you know, summaries. <laughs> but it's also a core skill in something like ChatGPT, which or Bard, which can't incorporate information from something it learned in training unless it can isolate morsels of facts and then remix those morsels into brand new text that can be incorporated into the conversation with the user or into the text that's being asked to generate. So how long is it going to take for us to understand during this process, how much of the original text meaning and context has been discarded along the way? How much did this model decide, oh, that's irrelevant. This is what we need to actually understand. This is what we actually need to incorporate. Now, it may not seem this way, but when I write, I do choose my words and sentence structure and rhythm and the narrative order very, very thoughtfully with actual intent. What I'm trying to say is very clear in my mind. All of these choices that I make help you to read and hear these same thoughts that exist inside my brain uh, clearly without having a messy process involved, involving, you know, a three inch circular saw and an ice cream scoop or something. Anyway, or, or how about this? Think about how much you reveal to someone during a long conversation that's flowing really well. As you grow comfortable with this person and you start to feel safe, you loosen up and you start to drop barriers and defenses, and many of which were, are there for really good reasons. Like say a work colleague that you don't know very well came up to you in the break room and asked you if a close family member of yours had ever been in, in trouble with the law. You, you'd hedge or you'd tell them right to their faces that's none of their damn business. But spend two hours in an airport terminal with the same person waiting for a delayed flight to a business conference, you might find yourself telling them all about the uncle who went to jail for selling $17 kiddie pools from Home Depot as $8,000 Medicare-approved therapeutic spas. This could become a big problem. 
there's evidence that the, the AI-powered Bing is wired up to reward the user for engaging with the AI as if it were a real person. And I don't, it's still early days, and this information comes from conversations that some of the testers have actually had with the AI saying, please explain to me how you work. So that's what we're, that's what we're going from. Uh, but nonetheless, it's, uh, those, that information suggests that or says that Bing is factoring in the length of your queries. And how long is it taking you to respond? Like, did you, are you like right there reading and then replying immediately? Or did you walk away for a bit? What's the tone of your voice? Uh, and it's, it adjusts itself. It adjusts itself to become more pleasing and conversational to become, yeah, more interesting for you and more engaging with you. What are we going to tell Bard as our relationship with it grows over time and our, once again, weird human brain with its firmware and operating system and application suite that was not designed to deal with this, not designed to build up defenses uh, against things. It's going to start reacting to the software as a real person. Like how long is it going to take for a human brain to stop registering that it's, that it's a person that to make sure that at the forefront of our awareness, that this is a piece of software operated by a $2 trillion company that turns our personal information into ad revenue. You know, how much are we going to give up to these chatbots without <laughs> that we would never, ever, ever fill into a form if it were placed on a website? It's certainly one with the, with the Facebook or the Microsoft or the Google logo on it. And then there's the worry that these chatbots, they're going to start making things up without our being particularly aware of it, maybe without the chatbot being particularly aware of it. Like I can understand if, uh, if I ask, uh, who wrote the quote, there's a famous quote, quote, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes, unquote. And if I ask it, Hey, who, who, uh, who wrote that? Uh, if Barter Bing tells me, Oh, it was Mark Twain. That's a mistake. That's wrong. Uh, and I can understand that it's makes sense. It's a very famous misattribution and that mistake appears all over the web. Okay. So they've seen this quote, this fact like object thousands and thousands and thousands of times. It seems like a fact. So it might be entered into the system as a fact. Okay. But what if I'm not asking it that specific question? What if I ask the AI, Hey, uh, give me, uh, I I'm looking for a quote from that, from Mark Twain about America. Could you give me 10 good Mark Twain quotes? Uh, well, they'll, they'll give me 10. Is there a possibility that some of them are going to be the invention of the artificial intelligence? Like as if I'd given it a writing prompt, give me 10 folksy sayings about America, uh, in the voice and uh, tone and humor of Mark Twain. What if I'm, if I, would that, ha would I get those results? Even if I said, Hey, I want factual, actual quotes. Does it know what it's talking about? It's, it's a deep, deep problem. And it, it poisons the whole well. So yes, I, I mean, I am worried about teachers who can no longer determine if an essay is the work of a student or if it's a work of a website, but I'm more worried that this additive that apparently is going to be mixed into all of the intellectual nourishment that we consume, that this is being done way before we've seen what it does to things like our comprehension or the velocity of misinformation or the seduction of it, so to speak. You know, I've, we've uh, over nearly 400 episodes of material. We've always said that it's not as though Google's data collection is in itself wrong. It's uh, that so long as the users of Google products and services understand that it's a transaction, here's what I'm giving you 
and you decide for yourself if what you're getting is worth what you're giving Google. Conversational AI, boy, it changes all of that, you know, because again, we have, we have fallible human brains that, I mean, if they break, even when we're talking to humans, we trust people we shouldn't be trusting. We are uh, believing things they, maybe they want us to believe. I mean, uh, there, uh, that, uh, paper, uh, sociactic parrots that, uh, Dr. Gibru and uh, Dr. Mitchell wrote, they mentioned, uh, three dangers. And the third one was, uh, use of, uh, use of propaganda that you could actually now astroturf, uh, propaganda, not by simply having a farm of, of people cutting and pasting things into message boards, but basically have create entire personas that do nothing but generate this stuff. It's bad enough if it's a uh, if it's a human campaign. If it becomes just like uh, spam email became a problem because of the uh, the horrific implications of scale when it became about, uh, it became possible to do millions of emails for for nothing at zero effort. That's when this became a huge problem. That's when it kind of crippled email for a while. We're gonna need to we're gonna need anti spam for 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 thought. Okay, the, 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 uh, another thing that I had in mind, I'll, I'll, I'm sorry, I'll wrap this up, but um, let's talk about Google specifically. Like if conversational AI really is the next big thing, like if it really is going to be the transformative thing, I have no question in my mind if Google can get there because they're there. I mean, they've done it. They know how to do this. They are experts. They just didn't see the urgency. So they never made something as demoable as chat GPT, or they did actually have Lambda as a demo, but as an app that some people get access to and have limited conversations with. So I'm, I'm not worried that they, they, that they don't have, I'm not worried about Google having the technical ability to do something even 10 times better than what, uh, what uh, chat GPT or open AI can do. What I'm worried about is Google's leadership. And like, can they pull this off? And here, I don't, I don't mean Sundar Pichai specifically. I mean the company's basic ability. I'm questioning their basic ability to identify a specific priority that suits Google's basic role and its culture and pursue that goal effectively. I mean, in the history of technology, all of the milestones are also the headstones of products that got there first but got buried by a competitor who maybe got there later with a, uh, but they got there with a better product or a better strategy. Apple's sort of the king of that. And the iPhone, that's only the best example. I mean, as a collection of features, the very first iPhone had almost nothing that wasn't already unveiled or already available in, in phones that were sold by companies, companies like Nokia and Blackberries that, that thought they had the whole market locked up. I mean, truth be told, it was a couple of years before an iPhone had all the features of a BlackBerry or a Windows phone or a Palm Trio. It could even cut, copy, and paste, for God's sake. I mean, so Apple, the iPhone, they got there late, but they got in with a phone that was jet-propelled by all of the good parts of Apple's design culture, the culture of the company, right at the very top. The very day that they gave the, that Steve Jobs gave the first public demo, he introduced the iPhone as a phone, an iPod, and as an internet device. So that was very much in tune with what Apple could do. And it was their priority. They were going to push this and push this and push this. And no matter how long it took to, before they, and of course, eventually it buried a lot of companies. 
okay, great. So if we're worried about Google, like not catching up, Hey, there you go. There's like the, uh, the Google AI. It's going to, uh, the Bard is going to be like the iPhone. No worry about it. Bard is going to be as successful as the iPhone. It's going to bury Bing and all the other AIs, just like Apple buried Microsoft's mobile business and, and Blackberry as a corporate, whole corporate entity. The whole company went away. Oh my God. Okay. Well, no, don't be so confident about this. Apple committed to iOS, the iPhone operating system, as the next step forward for the whole company, okay? It's as if they were going to count on the iPhone to deliver more than half of Apple's annual revenue and for most of its growth. It wasn't an experiment. It wasn't uh, an additional bet. It wasn't even a moonshot. It was tactical strategy. There was clarity and momentum that came right from the top down, which every employee understood even if they weren't working on the iphone if they were if they were marketing the that that the iphone socks yes they used to have like knit socks you'd uh, put your iphone in even those people understood how important the iphone was to apple and they felt as though they were invested in this and that sort of momentum forward even if you're not working on the iphone even if you're not part of that team it makes you feel as though if apple approves your project they're going to back it and they're going to support it and they're not going to just be, be 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 diddling around with it uh it's i mean it's as if in this case like apple it's almost as if apple decided that it had a huge gaping hole in the company the exact shape and size of the iphone and that logically the iphone was created to close that hole to patch it over so no, I don't have any doubts that Google can do conversational AI as well as anybody else and probably better, but I seriously question whether they can create a plan to do that and actually execute it. To one degree or another, I think Bard needs to transform Google search as profoundly as the iPhone transformed the iPod. I mean, how in retrospect, the iPod seemed like an evolutionary forebear to a future product that its designer couldn't have even dreamed of at the time. Okay. I'm also thinking about how the iPod eventually became irrelevant, both to society in general and to Apple's income. Apple has never had a weak stomach for sending a new Apple product out to kill an existing Apple product. Apple doesn't even sell iPods anymore. I, I, I can't imagine Google doing anything like that. If the company loses big in artificial intelligence, and that's a real possibility, it's going to be because they divided the company's attention and the public's by having two separate search and information services. You know, here is I know it, I know I mentioned earlier that maybe they should be sort of not necessarily glommed into the same ball of rice, so to speak, but but I mean that not like one entity that is articulating search in two different ways. I'm talking about two teams, two groups, two strategies and different buildings, different offices that are in a way competing with each other and trying to steal each other's resources. I mean, they, they would, if they did something like that, like what they, what they were doing with, uh, with chat and messaging, like they, they, what they, what they do is they turn two engineering teams into adversaries competing for the mothership's love and resources Instead of treating them like a single army marching in the same direction against Google's competitors, that the work that we do, we do together. That if if you are so long as Google has a successful messaging platform, we all win because you know what? I've got stock options too. I've, I've got my mortgage tied up in the idea that uh, this company is going to survive uh, for the next uh, ten to thirty years, and that I'm going to be employed by it for a good chunk of that time. Let's all create success together. The other problem here is that although I don't think Google's lost any real ground 
technologically to OpenAI, they've definitely lost time. In the months that ChatGPT has been in the hands of the public, the AI has benefited from millions and millions and millions of queries and interactions with real humans. When Bard stumbles out of the research lab in a couple of weeks, it's going to be as sure-footed as a newborn giraffe, and that's going to show. On top of this, developers have had the ChatGPT API for months now. They know it, and they trust their knowledge of how to make it work. They try to enhance their own apps and their own services. Now, this is key because neither OpenAI nor Google are going to be able to take these AI tools to their full potential without them. They need outsiders, you know, these benevolent weirdos and maniacs to help them find the true awesome in their existing products and help them find the new direction for it. Now, this was something that in the conversation about uh, announcement about BART and also elsewhere, Google has said that, hey, look, we're, we want to make sure there's APIs for this. We want to make sure that this is not just a source of success for Google products and services, but also it's the core, uh, the core trustworthy, valuable of success to other people's uh, products and services, so long as they're not paying, I suppose. But again, how much time and how much ground have they lost? This, I mean, there's something even more basic about that too. Humans, we are creatures of comfort and habit, you know, to tell the truth. I mean, I, I use Google search <laughs> to the exclusion of pretty much everything else. Uh, the only time I actually use Bing or DuckDuckGo is when I can't find something on Google search, despite my experience with it, my familiarity with it. And I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe a different algorithm will surface that a little bit easier. Otherwise it just doesn't even exist. I mean, Standard Bing search and DuckDuckGo, I mean, despite all this, they're probably adequate for most search queries. They're fine. They're great. Uh, really, this was the first long dive I've done into Bing in probably a year or two. And even without the AI enhancements, I was impressed that it looks like a clumsier version of Google search, but it looks like something that could at least be spoken of in the same paragraph as Google search. I'm sure it would be fine if, I, if Google went away and I had to use this. I'm sure it would be fine. But the thing is, the reason why I don't use them isn't because of the features. It's because I'm just not in the habit of using Bing and DuckDuckGo. Furthermore, I have this long-standing relationship with Google Search. I'm I'm pretty typical. Like I know it's not perfect by any means, but it's like one of the many cars I've owned and driven for 110,000 miles. You know, I, I feel like at this point I've under I I understand all of its shortcomings and all of its quirks. And I'm very, very confident that this car that now has 150,000 miles on it, it's not going to give me any nasty surprises. Like if I, if I, I could, uh, I'm, I think at 150,000, my, my last car lasts 175,000 miles at 150 something thousand miles, parked it at an Amtrak station, went away on a business trip for a week, came back and it was like minus, oh my God, uh, degrees. And I had no doubt in my mind the thing would start up because I know that this car does great and does well in in in, uh, in cold weather. And if I had decided, oh my God, this is 150,000 miles, I better, oh, here's an opportunity to get a car with only 60,000 miles on it. Let's, it's time to upgrade. Let's do it right now. If, if that would happen in the first like couple of weeks, I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I know, I, I, I know that the left turn signal sometimes comes on, sometimes doesn't come on. I don't know how well it does in cold weather. You know, that is in itself a feature, knowing the limitations and being prepared for them. Uh, like uh, there's some people who have had access to the, the new Bing, the new AI powered Bing, and they're confirming the obvious. Obviously, office often will get things wrong. And sometimes it does get really, really confused. But users might be okay with that if they master Bing's quirks over time. Uh, 
they may not want to invest time in breaking in Google search with Bard. And that opportunity might've already been lost with uh, chat GPT because it's been around for only a few months, but now people know how to find uh, chat GPT and also stable diffusion and these other image generators, just like the success of using Google search involves knowing how to deliver it a search query that will, uh, that it's has the best success of actually making something out of. There are people who have become experts on stable diffusion. They know exactly how to fine tune a query. They know exactly how to fine tune uh, a, a chat GPT query to get the exact results that they want and to modify those results. They know how to use it. And are they going to jump ship for BART? Uh, BART? My goodness, I'm going to be calling it BART. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it's because of the Simpsons or because of the Bay Area Rapid Transit Network, but I'm going to have to practice that looking into a mirror. I digress. If people are comfortable with open GPT, uh, with chat GPT, is, are they going to need some convincing to try to learn, try to learn how to use a different broken down used car? I don't know. Uh, I'll skip over something that I, I want to talk about how I'm, I'm really surprised that Google or anybody else hasn't talked about the potential for Lambda and chat AIs to turbocharge digital assistance. Uh, just that it's still, the Google assistant works. I think it's the best of the bunch, but even with my, as much as I use my smart speakers, I still give it a voice command, get the results from that voice command. Uh, what I still can't do something that is as basic as one thing I do with a human being where I know it want, I'm trying to get, I, 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 I don't have the specific question formed in my mind yet. Cause I need more information before I can ask the specific question. Uh, can you please, you know, and it's going to be a, a short conversation to figure out what command I need to give you to make us both very, very happy. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to when smart speakers can do things like that. Even, even when it, it can do things like uh, my morning wake up is, uh, Stephen Fry in his Jeeves voice, <laughs> synthesizing, not just, uh, Stephen Fry's voice, but also, uh, a, a text written like Jeeves would speak saying, good morning, sir. The weather is extremely clement this morning. It's uh, 62 degrees. However, perhaps it would be, pre- perhaps it would be, it would be appropriate to uh, bring a light Harris tweed uh, for later in the afternoon when showers are expected. I've already laid out your umbrella. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Miss Wickham has already phoned to inquire about your availability at 2 p.m. I have told her that I've, des- I've deferred this request and told her that she would be, you know, that sort of thing. That Things that make things, you want to engage with it. Again, weird brain operating system, weird software. We want to engage with things that we think have a knowledge and experience and a personality. And so uh, these, these, these systems, these uh, software can't help us if we're not engaging with it, if we don't want to use it. And if this makes us want to use these things, and it, again, make sure that I never get caught in the rain again, uh, that would be pretty good. I'm gonna I'm, again. I've, I've been I've been wool gathering for 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 quite a bit. I'll uh, the 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 last thing that, that I thought was kind of important to talk about is that I really do think that the software could really help news readers because that's something that's been on my mind for the past couple of weeks. Um, there have been a bunch of really major stories over the past couple of weeks, and as usual, I use Google News to read my news. I love it, but sometimes I'm not reading stories that I probably should be reading because. Uh, they don't seem interesting to me, or I don't understand what the point is, or even weirder, uh, 
I'm only interested in a certain aspect of it, and it's hard to figure out which one of these articles is going to give me that aspect of it. Uh, or sometimes there are elements of the story or how it's presented that's it's going to affect. I know it's going to affect my mood in ways that I don't want to be affected right now. I don't have time to get angry. I don't have time to uh, get anxious about things. Like I, I definitely want to. I definitely read about Biden's State of the Union address, and if part of that story is that the more radical dingbat minority representatives of the opposing party chose to heckle the president to gain fundraising and social media clout. That's an important part of the story. I want to know about it, but my God, actually watching video of it enraged me. It honestly did. It disrupted my day for a, a short amount of time, but an amount of time afterward. And I wish I hadn't seen it. And an AI powered newsreader would let me say, Hey, look, I want to, it would give, give me a summary so I would know this thing had happened. And I would say, okay, here's, uh, I want to help me find a trustworthy news report that just describes the outburst that doesn't confront me with this imagery that I don't want to see. Cause I want, I want to get the information. I don't want to get the anger. Actually a better example, like there's a very, very popular movie. If you were to take five guesses, you would probably get it in two or three received uniform, absolute rave reviews from reviewers, absolute rave reactions from people who've seen it. And it looks it actually looks exactly like the sort of movie that I would see four or five times, but I haven't seen it yet. I've only, I've only seen the trailer. And the reason why is that I caught a detail in the trailer that suggests that it might contain a scene. The story might have a scene in it that I know that I will find deeply triggering. And it's what it is. It's, it's not important, but it's, it's a dumb personal anxiety, uh, but it can make me useless for a greater length of time that I can afford to not be productive. If it just tosses me into that, tosses me into that hole where I'm just thinking about this, it's, it's bad. And I try to avoid it. Um, I have, I have friends who've seen it. I could chat with them and get a read on, Hey, look, uh, there's a scene. I understand there's a scene where blah, blah, bump. Like what is that scene like? And we could kind of like edge around it so that I know broadly and non-specifically and non-vividly what this scene is about oh actually it's not as bad as i thought it was i can probably see it and the the friend i talked to would know that hey i don't want any spoilers i'm just trying to figure out whether or not i can see this movie or not but you know what again it's it's an embarrassing anxiety and you know mental health uh, it is a very personal private thing because you know you do you're leaving a place of safety when you expose to people that hey look i've got this problem with this this particular anxiety i don't want people to know about it even my friends uh this is this will be perfect for an anonymous AI that have a conversation to this problem. Although it does also bring up the thing, great. So now I'm telling Google and I'm t- telling Microsoft that um, I'm 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 scared of compact compact fluorescent light bulbs. That's not it, but just to have a way to end that sentence. So th- so there there are a lot of different ways in which these this the technology can be applied in a way that makes everything more useful. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for Google. Like at minimum, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, but like it, it'll, uh, it'll help Google with, uh, uh, one of the department of justice's antitrust suits. The first one is all about Google search, about their dominance of search. And they can say, Hey, look, look at the, look at the competition. Oh my God, the competition. We're tearing our hair out. You see this, you see the, this mustache used to be a doc russet. Now. Oh my God. Look, it's all salt and peppery. Wasn't that way before we saw that demo of, Bing. Oh my God. I can't believe we even at the time I'm spending on this deposition top of popping the justice. We could be trying to save our company from all this competition. 
etc., etc., etc. Okay, well, we should, it's a long time for me to wrap things up, both <laughs> in how long you had to wait for this episode and also how long I've been talking about this stuff. So Flo will be back the next sh- next show, which will be dropping this week. Uh, please go to flowrights.tech, uh, F-L-O-W-R-I-T-E-S.tech to see all the stuff she's doing for Gizmodo and elsewhere. Uh, you can find me, I'm Anatko, on Twitter and Instagram, I-H-N-A-T-K-O. I'm on Boston Public Radio at WGBHnews.org. Uh, you can see uh, my semi about three or four times two to four times a, a month uh end of week uh t- discussions about uh, technology news that that's all archived at wgbhnews.org uh and uh, or go to the wgbh news channel on youtube for the few times that i've been on uh when they had uh, the cameras running and as always you can help support our show and everything on the relay fm network by becoming a member head right on over to relay.fm slash material to sign up and gain access to special members only episodes produced by all of Relay's contributors, including us. And yes, we are about to stomp the gas pedal on the metronome of, uh, of bonus content. So it'll be, we want to very much make it, make it worth your while because we're very, very grateful for all of our members. Well, that's going to be it for this week. Thanks so much for listening this time. Hope you're going to be listening again next time. But until then, everybody have a happy, safe, and healthy, well, not seven days, probably more like two or three days, but however much of it, I hope you come out the other side happy about it. Cheers. 